Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 28 today. So let's give our attention now to God's Word. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. First Thessalonians is an interesting book, isn't it? One of the reasons for this that we find today in this last section of scripture that we have in front of us is that a lot of books in the New Testament follow the same sort of pattern. There is, uh, there is a series of commands that are given in New Testament letters, usually near the end of the letters, but usually spanning a number of different chapters for quite a bit of time. In this book, Paul packs all of its commands into this 10-verse section at the very end of the book. Paul spent a lot of time expressing how thankful he is for the Thessalonian Christians, for the Thessalonian church. He's so glad that they have persevered amidst trial and hardship and opposition, that they have continued to trust in the Lord, that the church is still there. He's talked a long time about how excited he is about that. He's told them about the coming of the Lord and spent a fair bit of time talking about the hope that is ours and the encouragement that is ours, knowing that Christ Jesus will return, knowing that death isn't the final word. And it's almost like he's run out of time by the end of the book. He's like, oh no, I got to get all the commands in. All right, let me just run off a whole bunch of them. All right, here's a, here's a series of commands. And so he, he lists 16 commands then. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them highly in love. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Don't repay anyone for evil for evil. Seek to do good to one another and everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. It's like, I'm running out of time. I got to get these commands out. 16 of them in 10 verses. Followed by a really beautiful benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. It's a beautiful benediction. 
But if we reflect on this section of scripture, this closing section of scripture, we recognize that this was not simply a, a hastily written down list of commands to make sure he got the command part of the letter in. We can see that there's a driving theme throughout the end of the book, throughout the end of First Thessalonians chapter 5, and that theme is peace. You can see how this plays out. Right after Paul has talked about the way that we're to interact with leaders within the church, he says, be at peace among yourselves. And so he talks about how we're to interact with those who are in in leadership within the church, and then he says, now be at peace among yourselves. This is a command for every person that they're supposed to direct towards every person. And then he gives the list of commands, and the benediction he calls God the God of peace. He reminds us that God is the God of peace. So this is a section about peace. And 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 and following tells us how we can have peace. And today we're going to take a look at two words, two ways that we can have peace. We have peace through respecting leaders within the church. We have peace through honoring each other. And today we'll be talking about those first two ways contained for us in verses 12 through 15 about how it is that we can have peace within the church. And so first, the first way that we can have peace is through respecting leaders. Now God has ordained and determined that the church is to be led in a certain way. That the church is to be led through its pastors and its elders and its deacons. Now maybe this is difficult in our current cultural context. We might not like the idea of certain men within the congregation being vested with authority over the congregation. We like to stress the priesthood of all believers. And the priesthood of all believers is an important important truth. You see, all of us are called to develop our spiritual gifts. All of us are called to minister to each other. But that, that ministry that we are all called to is, uh, is supposed to be directed by the elders and the deacons and the pastors. And the call of every Christian in the congregation is to respect those who are over us in the Lord and who admonish us. That's what the passage says. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Those who are chosen by God to be over the believers are chosen in the Lord. Now, this is important for a couple of different reasons. It's important for us to understand a few things. The first is that pastors and elders have been given their authority by the Lord. Their authority is in God. It's not in themselves. Pastors and elders and deacons don't lead the congregation by the force of their own personality or their own charisma. They're chosen by God to lead the congregation. Notice, this is from, this is from the, the Form for Ordination of the Christian Reformed Church. Notice, this, notice the way that it speaks. His brother, name, now that was me and, and Dan, in order that all God's people assembled here may witness that you, in the strength of the Lord, accept the responsibilities of this office, you're requested to stand and answer the following questions. Note the questions. Do you believe that in this call of the congregation that God himself calls you to this holy ministry? And then, you know, the Old and New Testaments are the word of God, infallible rule of faith and life. Do you subscribe to the doctrinal standards of the the church, rejecting all teaching which contradicts them? But notice that. It says, do you believe that in this call of the congregation that God himself is putting you in this position? And then the question is to be a faithful minister, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of your calling to submit to the government and discipline of the church. What's your answer? And what I said when I started, what Dan said was, I do, God helping me. And then it goes on, and, and there's the word spoken over the minister that's being ordained. May God, our Heavenly Father, who's called you to this great and glorious office, enlighten, strengthen, and govern you by his word and spirit, that you may serve faithfully 
and fruitfully in your ministry to the glory of his name and the coming of the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. And so the fact that this task is carried out in the Lord for pastors and for elders and for deacons means that God himself is the one who is the authority here. But it means something else here. It means that authorities of leaders in the congregation, that my authority as a pastor, that Dan's authority as your pastor, that the authority of our elders and deacons exists only insofar as the Lord has granted authority. So it's part of my responsibility as your pastor to say, this is what God's saying, this is how you must live, insofar as the Bible speaks. But if I try to start speaking outside of what it is that the Bible says, that's inappropriate. I have this calling in the Lord. So if I start telling you, you know, what you should eat for breakfast or how it is that you should dress for work or something like that, that's not authority in the Lord. That's me going rogue. And you shouldn't listen to me if I'm talking about those sorts of things because that's not a biblical or a godly authority. You see what I'm saying? Authority is supposed to be in the Lord. And so if a minister starts to transgress that or go outside of that, you're not supposed to follow the minister in that. But when you see a pastor rightly handling the word of truth, like 2 Timothy 2.15 says, or correcting false teaching like Titus 1.5-16 says, or visiting the sick and praying over them like James 5.14 says, you should be thankful. Now this is difficult because the pastor and the elders and the leaders of the church are not called to give you just some practical tips for how to structure your life. The pastor is supposed to tell you what God says. The pastor is called to admonish you. Do you see what the text says? We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That means that the minister is supposed to give teaching coming from God, which is directed towards changing a person's moral disposition, the way that we operate morally. And so whenever me or whenever a minister says, this is how God is calling you to live your life, whenever a minister says, thus saith the Lord, you might think, well, how dare he? How arrogant to speak into my life in that sort of way. And if you're tempted to think, wow, that's super arrogant that the minister tells me how I'm supposed to live my life in accordance with God's word, consider this. We live in a time where you could go to a church service and you could hear the minister spend the whole sermon just talking about his own thoughts or or ideas or or talking about some of his own feelings or his struggles, maybe being very vulnerable. He could talk about his own story and thoughts for an entire sermon. And our temptation when we're pulling away from the church, all of us probably is to say, wow, so humble. What a humble person to be able to be so vulnerable when the reality is the minister's just preached himself and not the scriptures. But on the other hand, we could go to a church and we could hear the minister talk for 30 minutes saying, this is what God says. We could think, well, that is so arrogant. Who does he think he is? Now, you might have been recoiling through this part of the sermon because you've experienced some spiritual abuse. Maybe you've seen spiritual authority abused. Maybe you've seen a pastor controlling, unkind, cruel. I've seen that too. And I hope I'm humble humble enough to admit it in the times where I do the same thing because I don't want to. 
And so there are two dangers here. There, there's the danger of spiritual abuse of overmuch and overbroad authority on the part of the pastors or the elders. I think that there is some of this that might be located in the history of the Christian Reformed Church. For those of you that might not be historically CRC, there, uh, there was a time where the minister had a specific title, and that title was Domini. Has anyone heard of that title? Domini? Yeah. Um, when I, when, my, when I was ordained here at Orland Park CRC, I still remember the way that Dr. Godfrey started his sermon. He said, Derek, from this time on, you'll be known as pastor, reverend, and jokingly by me as Domini. <laughs> and he said afterwards, nobody laughed. He goes, I don't know if they know that that was a joke or that that's how pastors used to be called in the Christian Reformed Church. The word was Domini. Now, do you know what that word means? It means Lord. That's too much. Let me tell you that right now. It's too much. It means Lord. And so, I've, you know, I've never called a pastor Domini, but I've been told that, that the authority was overly broad that was ascribed to the Domini. Let me tell you a story about that. One of my friends in seminary was a guy named John Maidendorp. John Maidendorp's father and grandfather and great-grandfather were all named John Maidendorp and were all pastors. And his great-grandfather was my grandfather's pastor in Racine. And by John Maidendorp's admission, he was a domini. And he said that one day he was doing some visitation. He was, went to the, the barber shop of the church's barber. And he walked in while the barber was cutting another man's hair. And the barber said, oh, domini, would you like to continue cutting this man's hair? Right? And the domini said, I think I would. So the barber sat down and the pastor took up the scissors and did the rest of the haircut, right? You're a minister. You're not a barber. You don't know how to cut hair. That's overly broad authority. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that coming through, right? That's overly broad authority. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you recoil against that sort of thing. And maybe you've seen it not in a humorous sort of way, but maybe in an inappropriate or even an abusive sort of way. And when the passage calls us to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, it's, um, it's not telling you to submit to a tyrant. But on the other hand, the other, the other error that we could fall into is a lack of respect for the minister or for the elders or for the deacons. To think, who does he think he is? To believe that he could say God's word. But when we... When we, when the church, in the right ways, recognize and appreciate the job that church leaders do and hold their church leaders in the highest regard in love because of their work they are doing, what it is that the Lord calls them to do. As a part of that, in love, when we're not doing our job, it's important to tell us. Pastor, I don't see you handling God's word right. Pastor, have you confronted false teaching? Pastor, I need you to be here. I'm sick. Or my husband is sick. My child is sick. I need you to pray for them. And then an abrupt command comes, right? Live at peace among yourselves. And Greg Beale, a commentator, notes that this command seems to be the thing which connects both of these sets here. We live at peace when we respect our leaders in the church, and we live at peace when the members of the church interact correctly. And so that takes us to the second point. Peace through honoring each other. 
And there are a series of commands given. Live at peace among yourselves. This is, our, this is our, our second point here. Peace through honoring each other. And then there's a series of commands. The first is admonish the idle. The Greek here has the notion of the undisciplined or unruly. When you see an undisciplined or unruly person, you're to admonish that person. Their life might get out of control because they're not properly ordering it. They don't set a proper plan. They don't prioritize. They don't have a rightly ordered life. They're undisciplined. They're unruly. There's a focus on idleness for a purpose. It seems that within the Thessalonian church that the people, some people had quit their jobs, had just quit their jobs because of false teaching that said that Jesus had already come or that he would come so soon that no one should work. And so people had quit their jobs and were idle. They were lazy. And this idleness can look like plain laziness. Maybe lots of television watching, lots of time in front of a screen, lots of time being entertained. Or idleness, the undisciplined life can look like always rushing from one activity to the next. We have soccer and now band and now play practice. And the hubbub of an improperly ordered life. And time for study of scripture or time for prayer goes away. The person who's idle, who's undisciplined, who's unorderly is not regularly in church. Doesn't follow through. Is unreliable. And among the body, we need to admonish lovingly those who I am describing. Dear brother or dear sister, it's time to order your life. It's time to sort yourself out. It's time to clean your room. Dear brother, dear sister, we miss you when you aren't in church. Dear friend, how can I make sure that the most important things are the things that you are giving your time to? Admonish the idle and then encourage the faint-hearted. These are the timid and the discouraged and the fearful. The ones who are faint-hearted are the ones who are lacking in courage at any given time. And there are people who are faint-hearted within every congregation. It was certainly the case, no doubt, in Thessalonica. People were having to face persecution. It's a hard thing to face down persecution, the sort of open persecution that, exists, that existed in Thessalonica. One could easily see how in that sort of context, it would be very simple, it would be very easy to be faint-hearted, to lose courage. And there are no doubt many here who are afraid today, who are faint-hearted. And so the message of the text is that we're to encourage that brother or encourage that sister. We're to put our arm around them. Let them know that you care. Let them know that you love them. Say, dear brother, dear sister, the Lord has got you. The Lord has got you. The Lord has got you. God is near you. And if you're faint-hearted, if you're afraid, please, if possible, let us know. Let me know. We want to be near you, to encourage you, to support you. Please tell us that thing which might be making you afraid. Let us stand together. Let's walk towards the heat of that issue together. Let's stand together against what is sinful and wrong and evil and fallen in the power of the Spirit together. Let's encourage the faint-hearted. Dear faint-hearted Christian, God has got you and he will never let you go. And there is no power or no force in the entire universe that can separate you from him.
Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Now, this is distinct from faint-hearted, right? So we're told about the faint-hearted, and now we're told about the weak. And so the weak must not, must not be talking about somebody that is simply afraid. This must, therefore, be talking about like a physical sort of weakness. It's not just those who've been beaten down by life. This refers to the physically weak, maybe the sick or the lame or the blind or the poor. The church fosters peace when it is aware of those who need strengthening, either someone to open the door for them or to make sure a ramp is given to them or a home is built for them or a car is given to them. This is a place where I think Orland Park CRC excels. I love that this is a church that loves to give. I love that this is a church that wanted to have a renovation in part so that we could have a ramp that was put onto the stage so that those who are physically weak could get up it. And then be patient with them all. You see, everyone that you're helping, be patient with them. God's been patient with you, so be patient with others. Patience is hard in this era of instant gratification, so we need to be reminded God has been incredibly patient with you. Be patient with each other. Patience is required to the greatest degree when someone wrongs you, when somebody wrongs you, and so the final command in this section today is, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. It's the hardest to be patient when someone has done you harm, has done you wrong, has done evil towards you. And our gut reaction is to return that evil with more evil, to give back evil for the evil that we've received. And the call of 1 Thessalonians to us today is to say, in the midst of all of that, be patient and then return good for the evil that you have received. When someone acts in an evil manner to you, you need to repay that evil with good. This is not to downplay or diminish the evil that's been done. It's not to say, oh, uh, it's not a big deal that you were treated wrongly or in an evil sort of way. It's to say that is sinful, that's evil, that's wrong, now return it for good. Now do good in the face of it. It's to say that good is stronger than evil, and good must always be the way of the Christian, even in those times where we might want to resort to underhanded means. It's saying, I know how horrendous evil is, so I will confront it, I will address it, but never with the evil that I have received. I will never use the devil's means to try to set things right. I'll use God's method, and I'll understand that this, that God's ways, is what will conquer the problem. You see, if someone punches you and you punch back, pretty soon you have a fight. It's the opposite of peace. And the problem is, if you win that fight, you win with evil. So that's a victory you don't want. Whereas winning with good means that good triumphs. And here's the thing for us to remember Good is stronger than evil. Good is stronger than evil. You see, God and the devil are not equal and opposite forces. God is far greater and more powerful than evil it is. It's just that God's ways don't appear stronger to us in the near term. Think about how the religious authorities of the day, along with the political authorities of the day, took their stand against Jesus. Think about how almost all of his disciples had fled from him. Even those who were the closest to him had fled from him. 
Think about how not only earthly powers opposed him, but the forces of darkness, all the forces of darkness as he walked to the cross. And think about how weak our Savior seemed. And yet, he didn't return evil for the evil that he had received. In fact, about those who had tortured him and mocked him and spit upon him, he prayed, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. Christ gave back goodness, amazing goodness, back to all of those who had done him harm, to all of those who had done him evil. And by his atoning death on the cross, he has forgiven you who trust in him as Savior and Lord. He has forgiven you for all of your sins. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.